0: Thank you all. I'd like to, I'd like to welcome everyone uh, to uh, North Cotton's Cancer Center Grand Rounds today, the people in the room and the people who are watching remotely. Um, I'll be introducing uh, Carrie, Carrie Shadler as is our, is our visitor. Carrie is uh, visiting us from MD Anderson in Houston. Uh, she did her Ph.D. at MD Anderson with Jean Kleinerman, and uh, she worked on the vascular genesis of Ewing sarcoma. And she continued her interest in um, vascular cell biology. Uh, did a postdoc at University of Pennsylvania with Sandra Yom, where she studied endothelial cell signaling in exercise, and then they recruited her back to MD Anderson. Uh, so. Uh, the conflict of interest. Uh, she does not have any financial interests to report. Does not intend to discuss off-label or investigational use of a product or device. Is not receiving direct payments from a commercial entity with respect to this activity. So, just a- as a word of introduction on the um, on the seminar we're going to hear, uh, I think one of the things that we all recognize as being extremely rare in uh, in cancer biology and cancer therapeutics are um, opportunities to apply um, therapy in a way that's really safe, um, potentially effective, easy to do, and can integrate really well with the therapies that are already standard of care, right? So, and it's like free, right? That's like really hard to find something that sort of checks those boxes. so. Today we're going to hear about something of that sort from Carrie. Thank Thanks.
1: you, Carrie. Hi, thank you so much. Is that echoing?
0: Yeah, I think that's okay. Is that okay?
1: Is this okay? Okay, to me it sounds like a big echo. Um, Okay, so thanks so much for having me here. This is really an honor for me, and it's been so fun because I've gotten to meet so many people doing um, very cool endothelial cell biology and then some cool exercise work, and it's been really fun. Um, So I, I would assume that you guys have heard some of the clinical studies that have demonstrated things like Exercise is important for reducing fatigue for cancer patients, and patients who exercise after diagnosis have lower rates of recurrence in colorectal cancer. And some of these types of studies that are um, really important and um, Uh, I think deserve a lot of attention. And I'm a big fan, but it's actually not quite what I do. So what I do is I think about how exercise might actually be impacting the biology of the tumor and how that might be impacting uh, the efficacy of some of our standard therapies for cancers. Um, And so that's what I'm going to tell you about today. So uh, as Steve said, I have no disclosures. No one pays me for these ideas. But so what I think about is how might exercise impact the biology of a tumor? And you can imagine that there are really a lot of possibilities. So we know that exercise changes metabolism and it changes uh, the circulating immune milieu and it changes growth factors and hormones and all kinds of things that might impact tumor biology. But my particular interest is in how exercise might impact Uh, tumor blood vessel development and function. And the reason that I'm so interested in this um, is because all of our chemotherapies and a number of our standard therapies are dependent on blood vessels for access to the tumor cells. And so I like to show this simple experiment that we did to really drive home this point, which is that only about 50% of the blood vessels in the average solid tumor are functional. And so to illustrate that, this is a Ewing sarcoma that we grew in the gastrocnemius of a mouse. And right before we euthanized it, we injected um, tail vein with this blue dye. And then this is a a section of it where we've stained the endothelial cells that make up the blood vessels in green. And I hope that what you're kind of noticing is that some of those blood vessels did a great job delivering uh, the blue dye. So for example, here. However, there are other regions of this tumor where there are endothelial cells present, but there's very little of the dye. And so now, if instead of this being dye, this was chemotherapy, I think that this is a problem we should really think about because what this tells us is that there's very heterogeneous delivery of the drug throughout the tumor. And while some tumor cells are getting plenty, other tumor cells are getting very little chemotherapy. And so um, that is due in part to the very inefficient nature of tumor vasculature. So this is a scanning EM that's sort of a classic example of the comparison between Uh, Normal, healthy vasculature where the blood vessels are very well organized and you have sort of appropriate large vessels feed small vessels and the branch points make sense in terms of efficient and even delivery of blood. However, in the case of a tumor, because the tumor is so rapidly proliferating and is secreting proangiogenic factors like VEGF, you end up with this hyperproliferative tumor vasculature. And what that means is the blood vessels proliferate like crazy, but they never slow down and mature. And so you have this really tortuous, disorganized vasculature with all of these kind of little sprouts that really aren't doing much. And as I just showed you in our mouse model, but has also been shown uh, in human tumors, only about 50% of these blood vessels are actually effectively delivering drug and chemotherapy. And so, uh, I'm not the first to think about this idea, so Rakesh Jain put this idea out um, 15 years ago now where he said, what if we thought about ways to take this abnormal, dysfunctional tumor vasculature and make it more normal, more functional as we're giving chemotherapy as a way to increase the chemotherapy delivery and even distribution, and ultimately, hopefully, that will better enhance the anti-tumor effect. And so uh, Rakesh, his lab was the first to really nail this down in mice, and it's now been demonstrated in dozens of mouse models of different kinds of tumors uh, using mostly VEGF inhibitors but also other receptor tyrosine kinase inhibitors that are Considered anti-angiogenic therapy. So you may have heard about them. You know, 20 years ago, when everybody was doing the starve the tumor concept. Um, after that wave kind of died down, some of us still stuck around with an interest in now using uh, this low dose anti-angiogenic therapy to instead remodel the vasculature. And Rakesh's group did the first in human study that really suggested this might be worth doing. So what they've done here in glioblastoma patients is they treated with sidarinib, and then they stratified by MRI those patients who got increased blood flow um, after sidarinib in combination with standard chemotherapy. So that's the purple line. And they showed that these patients really had better overall survival as well as progression-free survival. And then they went through and did all of the kind of background work to demonstrate that this seemed to be due, at least in large part, due to uh, better chemotherapy delivery. And so if this is such a great idea and it makes standard chemotherapy work better, why is it not common clinically? Because it's super hard to do. So hitting this normalization window using anti-angiogenic agents, so especially using VEGF targeting agents, is very challenging. So if you use too high of a dose or for too long, you actually just over prune your vasculature and now you just have less chemotherapy delivery and more hypoxia creating more um, aggressive tumor cells. So it's very hard to do this. The other problem is that um, in the average clinical trial, tumors overcame VEGF inhibitors in two weeks. So it's very challenging pharmacologically. But I like the idea. I really love this idea of let's just make the blood vessels work better so that we can get more chemo in. Um, and so in thinking about how we might be able to do that, I have become really interested in thinking about physiologic mechanisms for remodeling tumor vasculature. So one that I have focused on is sheer stress. So shear stress is the mechanical force that occurs as blood is flowing across the surface of the endothelium, and it's pulling on all of these cell surface receptors that are regulating a number of endothelial cell functions. And so in the case of a healthy organ vasculature, you have moderate, mostly laminar, meaning unidirectional shear stress, and that's a signal to the endothelium to remain quiescent, to have low permeability, to fully enter the maturation phase, be fully functional, and this usually correlates with a constant even blood flow. In the case of a tumor where the vasculature is so tortuous and so um, proliferative, there are tenfold lower shear stress uh, values on average than a vessel of the same size in a healthy organ, so very low shear stress, and there's quite a bit of bidirectional or disturbed shear stress that happens because of all these sharp kind of turns in the vasculature. The problem with that is that very low, or bidirectional shear, is a classic inflammatory signal for endothelium. And what it leads to is high endothelial cell turnover. So you get way too much proliferation and too much apoptosis. And then you get high permeability in the vasculature. So you have these very immature vessels that cause this sporadic blood flow. And sporadic blood flow, as I told you, is sporadic chemotherapy delivery. And so I thought about this in this very simple way of, can we just go from this low disturbed shear over here to the moderate steady shear? And might that then change us from this inflammatory endothelial phenotype to a more functional endothelium? And so as I was thinking about how we should increase shear stress, I was um, beginning to learn more and more about exercise and about how exercise is one of the most well-described methods for systemically increasing shear stress in your endothelium. So this is one of many published studies. Uh, This was done in healthy volunteers who performed stationary bike riding. And then they did MRIs at um, three cross-sections of their abdominal aorta. And really, the take-home message here is simply that as they went from rest to more moderate exercise, the amount of shear stress being experienced by their vasculature increased in direct correlation to the intensity of the exercise. And so um, now we know that you can use exercise to increase the shear stress. And I've told you that shear stress is one way that endothelium gets a maturation and function signal. And so um, we had this idea that perhaps exercise could be the signal to go from dysfunctional to Mm -hmm. functional vasculature to increase the chemotherapy delivery and therefore the efficacy. And so right about now is when half of the audience always tunes out because they just think that exercise is not feasible or is not safe. Um, I've been really pleased to find that actually a lot of y'all are already doing exercise research, so you're not gonna tune out. But for those of you who were, Let me just tell you, there are over a 100 published studies demonstrating safety and feasibility of exercise for cancer patients, both in adults and in pediatrics. And so um, you really don't have to throw the idea out. It's worth exploring. Uh, So with that in mind, my lab uses uh, mouse models to ask the simple question, does exercise increase drug delivery and efficacy? And it's a simple design. Depending on the tumor type, uh, we use different chemotherapies, but there's always a control, a chemotherapy alone, an exercise alone, and a combination chemotherapy plus exercise. And the way we usually set it up is we let the tumor establish fully to be at least 50 cubic millimeters. And the reason it needs to be that big is that's after the angiogenic switch has already happened in a tumor. And then we begin uh, five days a week of a moderate-intensity exercise. So it's 45 minutes a day. Um, It's about 65% VO2 max, so kind of a brisk walk for most of you guys. Um, And then they're getting either two or three days a week of chemotherapy, depending on kind of what standard, depending on the tumor model. And so... Using this design, uh, we were really excited to find that exercise increased the chemotherapeutic efficacy um, here against pancreatic uh, tumors. And so... Uh, and so what you're looking at here is the growth of the tumor in control mice in green and in exercise alone in blue. When we give this uh, fairly low-dose gemcitabine, we do get some anti-tumor effect. But when we give this low-dose gemcitabine to mice that are performing their five days a week of exercise, it works significantly better. And this is not just a weird thing about pancreas cancer. It was true as well in Ewing sarcoma, which I'm showing you here. Um, We've done it in melanoma. My colleagues at other institutions have now published it in in breast cancer and prostate cancer. So this phenomenon of exercise making chemo work better is is a pretty uh, well-established phenomenon in a number of tumor types. And so I told you that, in my opinion, the hypothesis is that it works better because it improves drug delivery. And so I'm looking now for evidence to support that hypothesis. And one thing that we really uh, think is striking is the remodeling of the tumor vasculature after exercise. So what you're looking at here, um, if you focus, for example, on the PDAC tumors, The endothelium is in green. In the tumors from non-exercised mice, there are endothelial cells present. However, they just don't look like functional vasculature. Um, Pancreas is sort of infamous for having this very compressed vasculature. Um, I'm sorry, pancreas cancer is. And so after exercise, we see that now these blood vessels look completely different, right? They're elongated. We can measure their open lumens. Uh, they are more organized, and, and we can quantify those things. So we're able to show, for example, that after exercise, there are significantly more open lumens and significantly uh, longer average vessel length, which indicates better organization of the vasculature. And most importantly, uh, there's an increase in the percent of functional vessels within the tumor from tumors from mice that have exercised. And so um, because I think the function part is a really important one, I just wanted to actually show you the data. So what you're looking at here, these are, again, the PDAC tumors. And across the top, you're looking at tumors from a non-exercised mouse. The endothelial cells are in green. We use a fluorescently labeled lectin that we inject tail vein, and it flows through and labels uh, functional blood vessels. So those would turn red, or in the merge, they would look yellow. And you can see that in the non-exercise tumors, there's very little, actually, functional vasculature. But after exercise, the majority of these are now uh, lighting up red. So when we quantify that, again, you go from about 50% to about 75% functional vasculature in tumors from exercised mice. Um, And so if we've increased their vascular function, we should increase doxorubicin delivery. I'm now showing you the example from melanoma. Um, And we did see exactly that. So we took advantage of the fluorescence of doxorubicin and used spectrophotometry to pull out the tumor, homogenize it, and then quantify exactly how much doxo is in the tumor. And there was significantly more in tumors from mice that have exercised. And I want to make a couple of points about how we did this experiment because I think it – speaks a little bit to what's happening. So these are not this is not um buildup of Doxo over multiple doses. What this was is these are tumor bearing mice that either did or did not exercise for two weeks, as I described earlier, not getting doxo during that time. Then they have their final bout of exercise, we wait 72 hours, and then we give a bolus of doxorubicin to measure it. And the reason that we're waiting that 72 hours is we wanna know is this truly remodeling versus maybe just dilation during exercise or something like that. Um, so I think this really indicates this is truly a remodeling that's at least semi-permanent. This was 72 hours later. And interestingly, when we do just an acute bout, so now we did this experiment where they weren't exercising at all, and they did one dose of exercise and then immediately got doxo, and we didn't see any increased uh, delivery of doxorubicin. So I think you really need some of the remodeling and not just sort of a temporary rapid heartbeat or a temporary dilation of vasculature. Um, Okay, and so then we thought, what if we're also increasing doxorubicin delivery to other organs? That would be bad news. Um, So this time you're looking at a Ewing tumor. Again, in the tumor itself, the exercise caused more doxorubicin in the tumor. In the other organs, there was really no difference. And um, although it was a relief, it was a little bit of a surprise to me as well until I really thought about it. So... Your organ vasculature, for the most part, should be healthy enough that when you go on a brisk walk, it should just dilate and go back to normal. It shouldn't have to remodel in response to just a walk. Whereas your tumor vasculature started off so dysfunctional with such disrupted shear that even uh, the change coming from a brisk walk should be an abrupt change. And so I think that may be what's going on here, although I haven't really experimentally gone after why it's not changing in the other organs. I'm just happy that it's not um, okay, and so I hope that so far I've kind of convinced you that exercise can enhance chemotherapy delivery and efficacy, at least in mouse models. But what I really want to understand is how or why. And the reason that I want to understand sort of what's happening is because I think that if we're going to use exercise in sort of this personalized medicine way that every, everything else is being used now, um, we're going to have to be able to predict, for example, which tumor types are most likely to respond. So we're gonna need to know things like what cell surface receptors are we looking for? And we would love to have you know a blood biomarker so that we can take your blood and just tell you, yes or no, have you exercised enough? So the more that we understand about the signaling pathways that are causing this change in endothelium, I think the better we'll be able to really recommend who should exercise how much, when, what type, all of those things. And then of course, there are always gonna be patients who cannot or will not exercise, and so the more we understand this, the more likely we are to identify drug targets that can mimic some of these effects. And so um, in thinking about this, the first thing we wanted to know was, are we sure this is an endothelial cell response? Does it require the rest of the tumor structure, tumor microenvironment? And so to try to get after that, We mixed endothelial cells into Matrigel, which creates like a semi-solid gelatin. So we mix the cells and then we inject them uh, subcutaneously into mice and then we have the mice perform daily exercise and then we harvested the gel. And right before we harvested, we again injected with our fluorescently labeled lectin to look at functional vasculature. And I hope that you can see um, really the way the endothelial cells formed in this gel is very different in mice that did not exercise here or that did here. Um, so one thing that you would note maybe is that endothelial cells, which are green, there are plenty of them here in the non-exercise gel, but they're forming these very small connections. So they're not making these nice, elongated, mature tubes versus here after exercise, they really are. Also, um, when you have functional blood flow and you get this red labeling, the overlay with green is yellow. And, and you can note that there's about uh, two-fold more functional ves- vessels in the matrogel from exercised mice as opposed to non-exercised. And I think this just suggested to us that we're really trying to focus on endothelial cell signaling. Um, and for now, we're a little less concerned about what the tumor cells themselves are doing in response to exercise. And so in trying to get after where should we focus, we did um, an array. It was an angiogenic factor array on serum from mice that have exercised or not. And then we pulled out factors that consistently changed over many, many mice. And what we noticed was that three factors that grow, go up in the serum of exercised mice are all factors that activate Nfat. So NFAT uh, is nuclear factor of activated T cells. And although it's named for T cells, it's actually really important in endothelial cells. It's one of the key endothelial cell transcription factors. Um, If you're not familiar with it, it's basically activated by high intracellular calcium, which then leads to calmodulin, which then activates calcineurin, which dephosphorylates NFAT and allows it to go to the nucleus and become a transcription factor to regulate a number of angiogenic genes. And this um, kind of fit with what we were looking for because one of the activators of intracellular calcium release is shear stress for endothelial cells. So we kind of thought it made sense that perhaps you know, you're exercising and you're activating shear stress and it's leading to this known uh, release of intracellular calcium and maybe you're activating NFAT signaling. And so um, I'm not going to show you a lot of the data for this part because it's published, but I did want to at least show you that we were able to demonstrate that shear stress induced NFAT nuclear translocation. So these are endothelial cells that were exposed to shear stress in vitro. And when we quantify how, how much uh, what percent of the cells have nuclear NFAT, it's significantly more. And we're also able to demonstrate by in vitro shear stress on endothelial cells that some of the very well-described direct NFAT targets do go up significantly. And so we felt like we at least have some evidence that shear stress can activate NFAT signaling in endothelium. And then we did um, several mouse experiments, and the one I'm choosing to show you was using uh, DSCR1 transgenic mice. So these mice Mm overexpress the endogenous inhibitor of calcineurin, and what that ultimately means is that NFAT cannot get activated. So when we repeated the tumor growth experiments in mice that can't activate NFAT, we completely lost the added benefit of exercise to our chemotherapy. Uh, This is, again, in the pancreas tumors. Um, And so we felt like we were on the right path with NFAT, and we were really excited about that. Um, And if this is truly about, Nfat controlling the vascular response, there should be a difference in what we saw in wild-type mice versus our transgenics. So just to remind you, in the wild-type mice, what we saw was the significant increase in open lumens in the tumor and the significant increase in vascular length. But in our transgenic mice, we completely lost those effects. And so we felt like NFAT is at least one of the key players regulating some of the endothelial response to exercise um, in tumors. And so then we thought, but what is it downstream of NFAT? So NFAT regulates a number of angiogenic factors, pro and anti, and through several experiments that... um, I'm going to ask you to trust me on just because of the interest of time, and I want to show you some of our newer data that's not published. Um, we came to focus on thrombospondin-1. So thrombospondin-1 is a direct fat target, it's an anti-angiogenic factor, it's a soluble secreted factor that um, is secreted by endothelial cells as well as uh, immune cells, and it feeds back onto the endothelial cells. Uh, it is um, known for inhibiting endothelial cell proliferation, which is one of the steps in vascular maturation. And what's, atar- what's attractive about thromosponin-1 is that because it's secreted into uh, circulation, it could potentially be something we could measure in the blood to use as a biomarker for whether or not you've achieved uh, the vascular remodeling effect that we're going for. And so we first confirmed in vitro that an endothelial cell shear stress significantly upregulates thrombospondin, and then in mice, when they exercise, there's more thrombospondin in their lungs, but more importantly, in their whole tumors, and so all of that was very exciting. Um, but more exciting was that we were able to demonstrate both in thrombospondin knockout mice as well as in endothelial cell-specific thrombospondin knockout mice Uh, When you don't have thrombospondin in the endothelium, you completely lose the beneficial effect of exercise for chemotherapy delivery. And so what I hope I've convinced you of so far is that if you start with this inefficient tumor vasculature and then you perform exercise, you'll activate NFAT signaling in the endothelium, which will lead to secretion of thrombospondin, and ultimately you'll get this uh, normalized or remodeled tumor vasculature, which will increase chemo delivery and better decrease tumor growth. Um, and so that's kind of where I was at when I started my lab, which has been only two years, and so everything I'm going to show you now is kind of stuff that I'm currently working on. Um, so I've really become very interested in thinking about what is it about endothelial cells or about vascular structure that actually determines whether it's gonna deliver drug effectively? Um, and so I've, I've started to think a lot about the fact that tumor vessels are hyperpermeable. And actually that means you get poor blood and drug delivery to the center of the tumor. So here's you know, a healthy blood vessel. You should have in the endothelial cells these really uh, nice cell-cell junctions that regulate permeability but it's been shown in numerous tumor models that endothelial cells don't form appropriate cell-cell junctions. And there's not appropriate coverage of smooth muscle cells and pericytes. And what that means is that you have these hyperpermeable uh, tumor blood vessels. And hyperpermeability actually leads to very high interstitial fluid pressure within the tumor. So this is a mathematical model, and this data did not come out of my lab, but I think that it illustrates the point nicely, which is that when you have this very dense center and then you try to deliver drug through very permeable vessels, a lot of the drug is going to leak at the periphery. And something about permeability being bad for drug delivery is super counterintuitive for people. So I've tried to think of it as if you had a water hose and you poked all these tiny holes along it, as long as the end of the hose is open, most of the blood is still going to go out here. But if you add a lot of pressure here at the end of the hose, now most of the water is going to come out of these tiny holes upstream, right? So kind of think of that when you think of the permeability being bad for drug delivery into a tumor. Even with that uh, illustration, I still didn't quite believe it, so I just needed one experiment. Um, And so these are, again, Ewing tumors that we grew in uh, muscles of mice. And what we did was we just did a bolus dose of doxorubicin, and then we used MALDI mass spec. So this is laser scanning mass spectrometry where you can do histological sections, and on side-by-side sections, you can look at concentration of drug, and then histology of the tumor. And so, as predicted by that model, the drug all leaked out sort of around the periphery of these tumors, but when we looked at the histology, First of all, this was not a necrotic center, which um, maybe you would have expected given the drug delivery. But second, the endothelial cells here are in green, and there are, it may be hard to see, but there are actually plenty of endothelial cells there. It's just that you're not delivering drug. This is the same tumor at different sections. Um, and so this really did convince me that we've got to think about this permeability issue. And so we were really uh, excited when we found that exercise significantly reduced the hyperpermeability of the tumor vasculature. And so what we did was um, we grew these Ewing sarcoma tumors and we did the typical um, five days a week of exercise But right before euthanasia, we injected with this very high molecular weight uh, dextrin labeled in green. And so healthy organ vasculature, this dextrin cannot get out. It's an enormous molecule. But you can see in tumors from control mice, there was actually quite a bit of green uh, dextrin leakage. When we quantify that and compare it to the tumors from exercised mice, there was this significant reduction in dextrin leakage after exercise, and it did correlate with this increase in doxorubicin delivery. And so um, we have really been thinking a little bit about uh, endothelial cell permeability and how exercise might regulate that. So we first thought, well, it's going to be a pericyte story. Clearly, there's a change in smooth muscle cell coverage. Uh, it wasn't. There was no change in smooth muscle actin. There was actually a decrease in Desmond-positive pericyte coverage. So this is not a pericyte story. It's apparently still an endothelial cell story. And so we've really come to be interested in these receptors, uh, sphingosine 1-phosphate receptor 1 and sphingosine 1-phosphate receptor 2. So these are cell surface receptors on the surface of endothelial cells that play opposing roles in angiogenesis. So S1P receptor 1, which is the good receptor, promotes appropriate permeability by promoting VE-cadherin translocation to cell-cell junctions. It promotes a mature, quiescent functional vasculature. S1P receptor 2, which is the bad receptor, inhibits all of those things. And so in support of the idea that this might be regulated by exercise, uh, we have been able to demonstrate, and others have also been able to demonstrate, that S1P receptor expression as well as activation is shear stress responsive. So here this was uh, endothelial cells in a cone and plate viscometer where we can control exactly how much shear stress the cells are exposed to. And when we give them either disturbed or very low shear, which is what you would expect in an untreated tumor, uh, you have low S1PR1 expression, but that goes up significantly when we then give them high laminar shear. And so we felt like this was at least support that maybe these are the right receptors to think about. Um, and what was also exciting was, it turns out, these receptors, in addition to regulating cell-cell junctions uh, via their regulation of VE-cadherin, which would, of course, S1P receptor 1 would make VE-cadherin then go to the uh, cell junctions and decrease permeability. Receptor 2 would inhibit that. They're also upstream of intracellular calcium release. Um, so it was just a nice perk because it fit into some of the story we were already working on. And so we just came up with this hypothesis that exercise increases the uh, expression of S1P receptor 1 and decreases the expression of S1P receptor 2 and that that's perhaps part of how exercise is modulating the permeability of the tumor vasculature. And this is a fairly new area, so we have some data that I'd love to share with you about supporting these ideas. Um, So the first piece of evidence is that in tumors from non-exercised mice, so that's these here on the left, the good receptor, receptor 1, is very low on endothelium. The bad receptor, receptor 2, is very high. But on tumors from exercised mice, you have a switch. And now you have a lot of S1P receptor one positive vessels and very few S1P receptor two positive. And so you switch and now the one goes up and the two goes down. And so we thought that again supported the idea that perhaps these receptors are important in exercise. Mm -hmm. And when we target them pharmacologically, we're able to mimic some of what we see in exercise. So when we activate S1P receptor one, the good receptor using SEW2871, we are able to demonstrate that uh, here's Doxo alone tumor growth and then here's Doxo combined with this activation. It works significantly better. Conversely, when you inhibit the bad receptor and combine that with doxo, you also get uh, better efficacy of doxorubicin. So obviously these are pharmacologic, meaning they're also gonna be hitting the tumor cells, they're also gonna be hitting the immune cells. Um, We're working now on breeding all of the different transgenic mice to have the receptors knocked in or knocked out just in the endothelium or just in the tumor cells. Um, Unfortunately, I don't yet have that data. But what I can tell you that I think does support the idea that these receptors are important for vascular permeability and drug delivery is that when we look at uh, these tumors, so the ones that got inhibition of the bad receptor, we were able to demonstrate a significant decrease in the permeability using that high molecular weight dextrin assay and a significant increase in a bolus dose of doxorubicin delivery. And so that is kind of where we're at with the mouse studies. We are basically thinking that inefficient tumor vasculature, when you perform exercise to to increase your stress, you activate S1P receptor 1 and uh, inhibit S1P receptor 2, and that this uh, seems to improve the hyperpermeability, which ultimately, again, leads to this better functional vasculature and more chemotherapy delivery and tumor growth. And so, that's what we've been doing in the mice, but I wanted to show you just a little bit of our human data, um, because otherwise you're gonna walk away and say that it doesn't matter at all for people. So, uh, okay, so here's, I I just am so excited about this study, so um, I just wanna acknowledge that I am a a laboratory scientist, I have no idea how to work with patients, but uh, Nate Parker and Matt Katz and Ann No and Dave Fogelman They do, and they have been fantastic collaborators. Um, So Matt Katz is the PI of this study. He is the chief of pancreas surgery at MD Anderson. Um, And what we did was the eligibility was that you have to have a borderline resectable or potentially resectable pancreas cancer. And the recommendation was for a home-based, unsupervised exercise program where we ask you to perform 60 minutes per week of walking and 60 minutes per week of strength building, which you do along with this uh, DVD and these resistant bands that we send home with the patients. And um, during this time, it's between diagnosis and surgery when patients are getting chemotherapy and chemoradiation. So, um, this is anywhere from about 15 to 17 weeks up to 30 or even 40 weeks. I mean, it's a fairly long phase when they're getting chemo and chemo radiation before surgery. Um, and so we first, so uh, the very first study that we did, so we only have the pilot study completed so far, we enrolled 70 patients. We did not have a control arm, everybody was asked to exercise. So um, of those 70 patients, 33 went to surgery. I received 23 of those surgical specimens for analysis. Um, All I'm showing you here is there's really no difference in terms of um, disease stage or chemotherapy versus chemoradiation, um, or even in the type of surgery that these patients received. So it's not an ideal control, it's not a randomized control, but I think it's a reasonable historical control. And what we were able to demonstrate was, first, that 80% of our patients achieved at least 120 minutes per week of exercise. So that alone felt like a huge win to us. So, you know, pancreas cancer patients, fairly sick population, just the fact that 80% of our patients hit what we considered adherence um, was really exciting. And I've had a couple of conversations last night and today about um, adherence and feasibility and... I fully acknowledge it's it's really a challenge to get these patients to exercise. Um, I think that we were very lucky because we had this Particular mix of Dr. Katz, our surgeon. He is very, you will exercise or you will not get surgery. And I think that's a pretty convincing argument. Um, so that's helpful. Uh, but we also have an exercise physiologist who is just really dedicated to working with these patients. He calls them on a regular basis to just talk to them about Why did you not exercise today? What could I do to help you think about exercise tomorrow? And so I think the combination of, like, bad cop, good cop worked well for us. Um, And so we did get pretty good feasibility. Uh, On average, patients did 156 minutes of moderate to vigorous physical activity. So we're defining that based on uh, their Fitbits measuring their heart rate and determining whether it's moderate to vigorous. Um, and so that amount of exercise. So we've, I've met some of these patients and kind of asked them, like, what are you actually doing? They're walking the halls of MD Anderson. Um, it's not. They're not doing these crazy interventions for the most part. We had a couple real athletes, but for the most part, you know, they're walking the halls and they're doing this exercise video that is pretty doable. And even that, um, we found some cool stuff in their histology. So first, we just confirmed that this was not about stroma, and there was no change in fibrosis. None of this surprised us because we didn't see any changes um, in our mouse models either. But what we did see changes in was their vasculature. So I'll remind you that this is what it looked like in mice. You had these kind of like disconnected pieces of endothelium that then became these big open vessels. The human tumors looked... Shockingly similar. Um, so disconnected pieces of endothelium here in red that then become these nice elongated or big open vessels. So these are, um, our control, and then we call it prehab for our pre-surgical exercise (laughs) intervention. We were able to quantify those. So um, with only 23 surgical specimens and 13 historical controls, we were still able to get a significant difference in uh, the number of vessels and the micro vessel density and the average length of, I'm sorry, the average number of elongated vessels indicating better organization. The change in lumens was not statistically significant, but um, I thought the images were pretty compelling, that it certainly looked different uh, to me, so I think this is still pretty exciting. Um, And so the reason that I really wanted to show you guys this was, to my knowledge, this is a first in human study demonstrating that you're actually impacting the tumor Biology, the structure of something in the tumor. And this was not a massive exercise intervention. It was walking and resistance bands. And so I just think this really argues that it's worth trying to understand what exercise is doing to the biology of the tumor because um, the exercise your patients are doing is changing their biology. I also just really quickly wanted to tell you Um, about some things we have going on in pediatrics. So this is a collaboration with Val Lewis. She's an orthopedic surgeon at MD Anderson. We're about to open it at Texas Children's as well. This is pre-surgical exercise for bone cancer patients. So this is, again, between diagnosis and surgery. These patients get from 11 to 16 weeks of chemotherapy and radiation. Um, so it's during that time we have uh, three arms. The first is no exercise recommendation. The second is three times a week with a physical therapist uh, for 40 minutes each session. And then the third is a home-based exercise intervention where we're asking them to do three times a week of 40 minutes at home. And, again, they're all wearing Fitbits, which is how we track it. Um, just uh, one note here, just because we learned it and I'll save you the trouble. Uh you have to have a home-based arm because patients will not come back to the hospital just for physical therapy. I mean, we started off with just these two arms, and patients didn't want to enroll because, you know, parking is expensive and it's a pain in, in their drive and in their, I mean, it's just a pain. So they didn't want to enroll because they didn't want to come back for physical therapy if they weren't already coming to the hospital. So we added this home-based arm um, actually, just recently it just opened um, because we were finding that we were missing too many patients who don't want to come back. The other thing is there were some ethical considerations about using, so a lot of insurance only offers a certain number of um, physical therapy visits, and if we're using them for research purposes, that's not fair. So we ran into some issues and we added the home-based arm. So what's cool about this study is that I'm getting blood at three time points, so before, halfway, and after, but also we're getting MRIs to look at the tumor vascularity kind of in real time at diagnosis halfway and right before surgery. So I don't yet have any data from this particular study. This one is a little slower moving. But I will tell you, um, we've had five patients who have completed their exercise arm. The PT said uh, they're killing it. They love exercise. They could easily do more. We've had no adverse events. Um, And then since I have just a couple minutes, this actually has nothing to do with the study. This is just something that we have found in pediatrics has been really helpful. So one of the challenges we've come up against is that Um, Kids sort of just suddenly assume that they can't exercise, or maybe not the kids, the parents of the kids suddenly assume that the kids shouldn't be exercising. So we've started to do exercise parties, that's what these are. Um, We bring in a local athlete, this guy plays for the Houston Dynamo, which is a pro soccer team, and then we do a sports party and we have all our patients attend. And we have seen that the number of patients who meet their exercise goals after attending a sports party starts to go up, so I don't have data on that. It's just kind of what we're noticing is once they've gone to a couple of our sports parties, they're a little more comfortable exercising and the parents are a little more comfortable letting them exercise because the parents watched them at our sports party. So that was just kind of a a fun thing in pediatrics. Um, And so really what I hope that I've showed you today is that exercise is feasible for cancer patients and that I think it's something we should really be taking seriously and thinking about Um, In mice, exercise improved the tumor vascular function and the chemotherapy efficacy in a number of tumor models. And we think that that's due at least in part to n fat thromosponin-1 signaling as well as to changes in the S1P receptor 1 to receptor (laughs) 2 ratio. And we were really excited to be able to show that an achievable level of exercise in humans was enough to remodel the tumor vasculature. And so I just need to thank... um, Everybody who has done this work, um, these are my lab members, and they all work really, really hard. And then without my clinical collaborators, there's really no way that we would have any of this data. Um, And then, of course, funding. And you know, I'm still really new to being faculty, and I'm always excited to collaborate with someone. So if you have any interest in this, I would love to hear from you. This is my email. And I'd be happy to take questions. Thanks.
2: talk. Thank you. Um, just from a practical perspective, say you have a sedentary patient that, that comes in, and you're able to, um, they're fatigued mm-hmm. from their cancer, they're depressed because they have this new diagnosis, yep. but you're able to kind of convince them that it may be in their best interest to exercise, and that it may actually enhance the response to the chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. Have you done time lapse studies to show in a regularly exercising patient? how long it takes for the remodeling to occur? Because chemo starts relatively soon, yeah. relatively quickly after the diagnosis, and maybe there's six cycles or maybe more, but can you achieve this within a few days with the regular, regular exercise in patients? Uh,
1: yeah, it's a really good question. So we haven't done it in patients. We've In mice, we've looked at as few as five days, and we did see the remodeling. Um, I will say in our clinical stuff, nobody is recommending sort of like a, a wait period so that you can exercise before chemo, nothing like that. We're starting it without any change to whatever the oncologist or surgeon wants. So um, it would be great to know kind of the minimum, and I get that question all the time. I just just haven't looked at it yet.
2: The other, of course, end of it is, is in a patient who's progressively more fatigued, as they get more chemo, how quickly do things drop off? And how, right. how long does the benefit last after
1: you stop exercising? Yeah, so I, that's the other question I get a lot, and I wish I had an answer to. So again, in mice, the furthest out that we've looked is 96 hours after the last exercise session. In at 96 hours, there was still the remodeling of the vasculature, and we were still able to see changes in lectin perfusion. We have not looked further than that, and we haven't looked in patients. So... We now have, I didn't show you the data, but we have now a randomized clinical trial in pancreas cancer patients where they're either getting exercise or not. And in that one, we'll have um, a much higher number of patients. And I'll be able to look and say, you know, some of our patients who haven't exercised in a week, what did their blood vessels look like? So eventually we'll be able to get at some of that just by comparing their Fitbit data to their vasculature and their tumor. But I don't have that answer yet, unfortunately. Yeah, thank you.
0: So before our next question, um, I was neglecting my job, which is to tell you that people who want CME credit, there's an activity code displayed outside the room after the presentation.
1: Thank you. Hi, Mary.
2: Hi. So how much tissue do you need to do the vascular studies? In the humans, Where you could you look at pre and post, the diagnostic biopsies and the assessment?
1: So we've tried it um, not on the pancreas. We tried it on the bone sarcomas. The problem is they're using mostly like needle or core, um, and it, you can't really look at the blood vessel structure because if they don't hit a blood vessel, we just it's just not enough tissue, unfortunately. So the only way we're really trying to get it pre and post is with the MRIs. So, when I don't have that data yet, um, but hopefully that will get at some of it, because we will have MRI MRI at pre, mid, and post. So we're hoping that that will help answer some of that. And in the mice studies, in the chemo delivery, how did you measure that, and were you doing pharmacokinetics? Yeah, so we weren't doing pharmacokinetics, um, although it's a good idea. The measuring of the chemo, the data I showed you today, was um, spectrophotometry. So doxorubicin is naturally fluorescent, and so you can just homogenize the whole tumor, use acid isopropanol to extract the dexorubicin, and then normalize against the weight of the tissue that you put as input, and then do spectrophotometry to measure the fluorescent intensity, normalize against how much tumor you put in. It's a rough estimate, admittedly. Um, we're now starting to, although I don't have any data yet, we're just starting to work with um, some really excellent small animal imaging guys who are, who are trying to help us do it in vivo in real time. So, hopefully, eventually, we'll be able to really get at that. Yeah, thank you.
2: Very interesting presentation. Thank Uh, you. You know, I'm thinking about this from different standpoints, and clearly, drug delivery is an important factor. Mm -hmm. But biochemical and immunological parameters, Mm -hmm. there are other things that can be going on. Oh, yeah. My understanding is that solid tumors may. Operate with a in uh, an, an oxygen deprived, mm-hmm. metabolically deprived, uh, anaerobic environment, yep. and I'm wondering if, as a part of your exercise, you're seeing an increase in uh, both oxygen and glucose consumption that can be affecting this tumor on the one hand. Mm-hmm. From an immunological standpoint, we know that there are many immune cells that mm-hmm. traffic in uh-huh. to uh, in, into these solid tumors. Mm-hmm. Um, Have you had a chance to look at tumor, at at immune cell infiltration as a function of exercise is one possibility. Uh The other is that there are many CD8 T cells, for example, that are bystanders. They're Uh sitting there not not doing anything. Uh One wonders whether or not, uh, if if there's not activated cells moving in, whether there might be an activation process Uh that is working in a way both metabolically
1: mm-hmm. and immunologically, to complement what you're saying? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I love all of those questions because these are all things I'm starting to think about but just have not yet had the sort of manpower and brainpower to get at. Um, what I can tell you is we have looked at hypoxia in the tumors, and so at least we've looked at it in the Ewing sarcoma model, and we know that hypoxia goes down in the tumors from exercised mice. We haven't yet done that um histologically, so I can't tell you is it just regions versus the whole thing. All we've done is homogenize the entire tumor and look by RNA at a number of hypoxia markers, and those do go down, um, suggesting better oxygenation. We have not yet looked at the glucose um, or anything truly metabolic. Um, it's, It's on my sort of like, that would be so cool, it's a little outside of my wheelhouse right now, so we haven't yet gotten at that, um, but I would love to. The immune stuff, so I did one experiment when I was a postdoc using these um, PDAC tumors where we did just kind of this broad panel, so a broad flow panel. The only tumor cell type that increased was neutrophils, um, we haven 't followed up on that i don 't know yet what that means with that said, the caveat is that we we did very i 'm not an immunologist, so we did very baseline like I looked at the number of c d eight and the number of c d four but i didn 't look at things like are they t reg or are they t effector are they i didn 't look at any of that, and I think that it 's worth looking at. Um, There is some data in the literature. Um, There was this really beautiful paper that came from the Peterson Group recently demonstrating better infiltration of NK cells into the tumor um, when mice exercise. And so I think that was an IL-6-dependent mechanism, and people are looking at it and thinking about it, I am just starting to develop some relationships with some immunologists who hopefully are going to be able to look at it for me, um, with me. So, yeah, I don't know yet. That's a good question. Hi.
2: Yeah, that was
1: really great. Thank well, you. Thank uh, you. Uh,
0: so um, you've convincingly shown that there, that there are epithelial
2: autonomous effects mm-hmm. of, of exercise mm-hmm. with your major gel
1: experiments. But there's also a lot of interest in,
0: in, in pancreas cancer in targeting
2: you know, non-endothelial aspects Strama. of the tumor microenvironment in a way mm-hmm. that improves blood cells, like hyaluronid yes. or vitamin D. I just wondered if you thought about whether exercise might be synergistic with those and even further enhance the efficacy um. in, in a
0: combination endothelial autonomous and, and tumor Yeah.
1: Okay. Gosh, it's such a good question. So all I can tell you is I did a quick stain for hyaluronic acid um, using HABP, and there wasn't a difference between tumors, but I didn't think about should we still combine it anyway? Should we still target it? That's a good idea and we haven't done it, but I will start thinking about it. Thank you. Yeah, it's a good idea. Hi. Hi, so I was wondering whether
2: you looked at S1P1 receptor by transfer, or their transcript
1: levels, because one thing is that in the laboratory when we stain for S1P1 at least supplies, it's highly temperature sensitive. And so I wondering whether exercise
2: is maybe increasing blood flow and increasing temperature and thereby stabilizing the S1P1 protein on the cell
1: surface oh. rather than upregulating it
2: through mRNA transcripts,
1: You know, I'm so relieved to hear you say that because um, the RNA didn't change, and I, it's like my dirty little secret. Um, so, <laughs> you know, like the RNA didn't change, but the protein did. And so... Um, yeah, that, thank you for saying that, yeah.
0: Uh, <laughs> Ravi, really nice talk. Thank so you. So what happens to the interstitial pressure in the tumor?
1: It's a good question, and we haven't measured it yet. Um, it's it's on my list, I know. Okay. Yeah, we haven't measured it yet. It's a good you question. You
0: saw that data where you, you see many, many endothelial cells in the part that are not perfused. So I know. I, I, right?
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, in the hypothesis is certainly that we have reduced the interstitial fluid pressure, right? But I don't have the data. Yeah, it's worth doing. Yeah, there was another question. Oh,
2: thank you very much.
1: That was very helpful, especially for a non-scientist. you <laughs> <you're> very <well. laughs> thank you. Um, just in terms of exercise, you showed uh, changes in the vasculature mm-hmm. and how that would improve drug delivery. Mm-hmm. And we have. Did any of your studies look at tumor growth without tumor delivery? Mm-hmm. It increase tumor growth? Do we need to worry about people with tumors we don't know? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a really good question. So, I think in one, one model you could imagine is that if blood delivery was actually the rate limiting step for the tumor, um, then when you give more blood, maybe the tumor is going to take off. And I think that's kind of what the old VEGF targeting idea was. Turns out that's not the rate limiting step for a lot of the tumors we've looked at. So the melanoma, I didn't show you guys, but melanoma was the only tumor that exercise alone the tumor took off. All of the other tumors, it pretty much did nothing. There was one Ewing cell line where it really inhibited it by itself without chemo. For the most part, the exercise alone did nothing. That said... um, there are several studies in the literature from uh, Lee Jones's group where they've been able to show that exercise alone inhibits breast tumor growth. So, I don't know if this is a tumor type difference or you know there are some slight differences in how we give exercise, so I don't know. Yeah, but the idea that it's going to take off, we saw it in the melanoma and that was it. So, yeah. Mhm.
0: Hey. Um, given that you've already seen increase in oxygenation uh-huh. I exercise, I would just point out that there's a potential synergy for radiation yes. therapy. Yes. Well yeah. As the classic oxygen
1: enhancement ratio.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, yeah. Yeah. No, I really appreciate you saying that. So we wrote an internal grant I did with a radiation oncologist together to try to look at exactly that. Unfortunately, it was not funded, but I'm still going to work on it because I think it's a. I think you're totally right. It's. It's. I think it's going to help. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs>
0: Okay, let's thank Karen for her visit. Thank you.